when will that happen for me? I've used that phrase on numerous occasions when I hear somebody tell a story and I'm like, hey, I'm glad that happened for you. I'm excited you got that experience. But if I'm being honest, when is that going to happen for me? Now, I don't, I don't want to, you know, be envious, but I kind of would like to have that kind of experience myself. And we could think of that in terms of really crass things like winning the lottery, uh, but it comes in, in, in much deeper things, too. I, I grew up in a home where we were constantly having missionaries come and stay with us and eat with us and spend time with us because of my dad's work. And, and over those experiences, sitting at our kitchen table, I would hear story after story after story from people who were experiencing God move in these really incredible and powerful ways. And I'd hear their stories and go, man, I'm super excited that you got to see God move in that way. But truthfully, I wouldn't mind one of those experiences myself. I wouldn't mind this undeniable moment that shows that God is real and powerful and at work in the world. And so I I lived most of my childhood at church. I think I spent more days at church than I did even at school. I mean, I just was there all of the time. And so I I got to college, and I was in my early 20s, and and one of those moments, it finally happened for me. I had a close friend who was going through a a really bad breakup, and and, in, in our day today, we would maybe use terms like toxic, maybe even abusive to describe the relationship. And, and so she was trying to put up boundaries and, and to keep this person out of her life. But she said, I just, whenever I talk to him, I always let him back in. And so she said, hey, can you, can you pray for me? And so we went to this little prayer chapel on our school campus. And we prayed for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And then she said, hey, I'm going to go meet with him. I said, okay, well, well, I'll stay and pray for you. I thought that was the nice thing, the friendly thing to do. But we'd already been praying 15 or 20 minutes, which in my mind was a long time to pray. So I'm thinking five or 10 more minutes and then I'm good and then I can move on with my night. And so, and so I stayed in the prayer chapel and I prayed for five or 10 more minutes. I was, I was down on my hands and knees and I was kind of leaning on a bench and I kind of felt like I'd obligated, you know, myself and I'd met the obligation. And so I got ready to get back up and I went from like this and I started moving like this and I wasn't nearly old enough to have back pain. So it wasn't like I started, you know, feeling uncomfortable but I, I just moved my core up, and it's just there was, a, there was a hand on my back that just went, and I just was like, okay, I'll stay praying. And I prayed for, f- <laughs> for five or ten more minutes because I was trying to get out of this as soon as I could, and I got ready to come back up, and I was like, nope, I'm going to stay praying. And I stayed in that position for like an hour and a half, close to two hours. Um, and that is, to this day, still the longest I've ever prayed. But, but when I got ready to get up, and this happened two, three, four times, I just felt this, it was almost like a physical hand pushing down on my back that said, stay. And so I just stayed. And I kept praying. And uh, later, I learned from my friend that she was having that conversation right outside that building. And in her words to me later, I'm so glad that you didn't leave because if you would have walked in on that conversation, it would have disrupted it. I might have lost the will to build up a boundary and stand strong. And so I'm so grateful you were praying for me and you stayed in there because I was able to do what I needed to do. And that was the beginning of her finally moving on from that unhealthy thing. And so I walked away from that conversation thinking, oh my gosh, God still does this stuff? You know, like this happened for me? 
And that experience of prayer permanently changed my, my experience of, of praying for other people. That experience is what comes to mind whenever anybody says, hey, will you pray for me? I think back to that moment and that very real experience of, of God taking what was really just an obligation. What really was just, uh, hey, I'll, I'll do you a solid, but I won't go out of my way to really sacrifice to show me that God still moves in light of our prayers. And we've been in this series for a few weeks talking about prayer, and I was so glad last week when I got back from a trip to hear what happened in this place, to hear about how so many of you embraced this invitation to get uncomfortable and for our morning to look different. All too often, we kind of go by remote control. We go, okay, we sing, and then we do some announcements, and we sing, and then Scott talks, and then we sing, and then we leave and go have brunch, you know, and... And that can become kind of just like going through the motions, painting by numbers. And, and to hear about how God was at work in this place and how God responded to your, your flexibility and your creativity and your openness was so encouraging. And as we continue this series over the next few weeks, I, I want to lean into some areas that I think are super practical, but also I think will challenge some of us and speak to some of us for whom prayer is hard. And the topic that we're going to lean in today has to do with the story I told. It's the topic of intercession. So if you have your, your handout this morning, there's a place on the top called The Big Idea, and you can fill in the blank here. But, but intercession is the overflow of our love for people and our limits as people. Intercession is the overflow of our love for people, but also our limits as people. And what happened in that prayer chapel 20 years ago for me is that I cared for somebody else, and out of the overflow of caring for them, I began to intercede for them, but I also had limits that I couldn't have that conversation for her. Now, I knew what to tell this guy. Dude, kick rocks. That was the nice version, you know? Like, buzz off. Get out of her life. But I couldn't do that. She had to do it for herself, so I had limits And so my prayer was the overflow of my love for my friend, but also my limits as a friend, and intercession began to be what I did in light of that. So if you say, Scott, what is intercession? Well, intercession comes from the Latin word intercedo, which means to come between. And so if there are two people who are in conflict, today there is a person who's literally a paid intercessor or a mediator, and they come in between those two people who are in conflict to resolve it. And when we are interceding for somebody else, we come between that person and God, and we stand in that gap, and we pray for them. And so, put another way, intercessory prayers are offered for someone or something else. We're standing in a place and we're standing between God and someone else who we love and we're praying for them. So if you are praying for someone else, you are interceding for them. If you are praying for yourself, something that involves you or benefits you or something that's involved in your life, those prayers are called prayers of petition. Prayers of petition are offered for ourselves. Petition is... It's not always selfish, but it's self in terms of focus. Intercession is others-focused. And so that's just a little bit of, of vocabulary. And so if you're ever, people are, you know, talking about petition versus intercession, that's, that's the difference. What is intercession? It's offering up a prayer for someone or something else. 
You might say, well, who does the intercession? And in Scripture, we see three different examples of people who do the intercession. And the first one's pretty easy. We intercede for others. And I think almost all of us have done this. We, we have prayed for somebody else. Somebody we know is in the middle of something or dealing with something or facing something or, or heading into something. We go, hey, I will pray for you. That is intercession. And we see the Apostle Paul call for this in the book of Romans chapter 15. He says, now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf. So Paul's saying, hey, I'm petitioning God for myself and I'm inviting you to intercede to God for me. He's saying, hey, I'm in the middle of it. I'm I'm struggling. Please pray for me. Last week, we went through the the, the discipline or the practice of, of confession in this place. And we shared from James 5.16, which talks about intercession in that context. There, James writes, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. There's the intercession. So that you may be healed, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And so when we intercede for others, it isn't just, hey, God, would you answer that prayer? I know my friend is praying, but, but we're asking God to move in a powerful way, a healing way, a transformational way. And so we're lifting up these people who we love and who we are unable to do the thing. Like if I could heal that person, there'd be no need for me to pray for healing. I just would heal them. If that person needed 500 and I had 500, there'd be no need to pray to God for 500. I just write a check for 500. And so intercession is the overflow of our love for people and our limits as people. And most of us stop right there. We go, that, that's intercession. But the Bible shows us so much more about intercession. Because number two, we see that not only do we intercede for others, but Jesus intercedes for us. Romans chapter 8 tells us that what is happening right now, and right now, and right now, is that Jesus is interceding for me and he's interceding for you. Romans 8.34 says this, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more the one who's been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. Right now, Jesus at the right hand of God's throne in heaven. And he's praying for you. And he's praying for you. And he's praying for you. He's praying for you. And he's praying for me. Now, this is important because some of us grew up being taught that Jesus lived in your heart. And unless Jesus is shrunk down to fit in my heart, he's not big enough to do that. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. He gives us the spirit, but Jesus has a body. His disciples touched his hands. They they touched his side. They watched him eat fish on the side of a lake. He's, He's still an embodied person. He's at the right hand of God, and he is praying for you. That's powerful, that when you think about praying, that the same things you're praying and asking God to do, Jesus may be praying for those exact same things for you. But it doesn't stop there. Number three, the Holy Spirit intercedes when we have nothing left. I have to tell you, at a certain point in that two-hour prayer session in that, in that prayer chapel, I didn't know what else to pray for. I ran out of words. 
My wife is probably shocked that 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 can happen, but it does eventually. Eventually, I run out of words. Takes a lot sometimes. I've gifted my children with that DNA. My son, one time, when, when we were driving, I think my wife was driving him one time, he just kept talking and talking, and she's like, hey, buddy, you have a lot of words today. He's like, yeah, mom, I have a million words. I have a million words. That's me sometimes. But eventually they run out. And we've all had situations where we're praying for somebody and we don't know what else to pray. Maybe you've prayed for a child. It's wayward. It's not walking in the way that you raise them to. It's living in a self-destructed, indulgent way. And, and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've asked your friends to pray and your small group to pray and you send in a prayer request and you're praying and praying and praying. Or maybe there's somebody who's, who's battling an illness and, and you're praying for treatment to work and it seems like nothing works and you're praying and praying and praying and praying. Or maybe you're praying for somebody to forgive you because you blew it and you know it. And you're trying to change and you're trying to show them that you're not that person that you used to be. But no matter how hard you try, they still are not giving you another chance. And so you're praying and praying and praying and praying and then eventually you have nothing left. And you just weep. And what happens in those moments? Well, Romans 8, 26 and 27 tells us what happens in those moments. Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we don't even know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. This is not us talking. This is not us praying. This is the Spirit praying. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so you go, Scott, I've had moments where I don't even know what to pray. That's okay. Because in those moments, at the right hand of God, Jesus is interceding for you. And in those moments where you don't even know what to pray, the Spirit inside of you is interceding for you. So the one thing I know is that when you are interceding, you are never praying alone because you're always praying with the, with the Son and the Spirit. And then if you've invited other people into it, they're interceding for you too. And in the midst of that, as you love somebody and you're caring about something, what is happening in that moment is that intercession is becoming the overflow of your love for those people, but also your awareness of your limits as people. So this is beginning to give us this biblical vision for intercession that I think is far bigger than Aunt Edna's kidney or Uncle Bob's knee or, or you know, Cousin Curly's hangnail. Like, this is a much bigger vision than that. Not that those requests are, are not unimportant, but intercession is so much larger than that. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time today answering this question. So how does intercession challenge and change us? Because intercession is one of those places I've discovered where when we start talking about it, we get into those places where some of us have stopped praying, where we don't like to pray, where prayer is really hard, and maybe we have baggage when it comes to prayer. Intercession is one of those places. So how does intercession challenge and change us? Well, number one, it invokes the authority and the standing we have with God. When you stand up or you kneel down or you take a drive or a walk and you are interceding for somebody else, you are beginning to invoke the authority and standing you have with God. 
He goes, Scott, I, what do you mean by authority and standing I have with God? Well, here's, here's what Jesus himself said in John 16. He said, in that day, and he, he's speaking in John 16 of the day in which he returns and we are taken to heaven. He says, in that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. He's basically saying, hey, up to this point, you haven't even touched the authority and the standing and the grounds you have to pray on. You, you haven't even touched the, 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 the resources you have in store for you. And when you pray and you ask the Father for something, you ask it in my name. Now, now we think of sometimes that phrase, in Jesus' name, in our, in our prayers, I, I think really kind of as just, it's just something we say. When I was a kid growing up, one of the phrases one of my friends would use, he would say, hey, uh, when we pray, I'll call you hang up. And it was kind of just a joking way of saying, I'll start and you close. And for a lot of us, in Jesus' name, amen, these four words is kind of just the thing we tack at the end of our prayers. When my kids were little, they would pray, they would say, amen, the end. Because for them, like, amen was synonymous with the end at the end of a Disney movie or something. But these words mean so much more than that. In the ancient world, if you did something in Scott's name, or in Dave's name, or in Sarah's name, or in the king's name, you were doing it with all of the power and standing and authority they had. And so when somebody says, I give you the power to do this, I give you to do this, do this in my name, you could do it as if they were doing it. So when we pray at the end of our prayers and we say, in Jesus' name, amen, we're saying, I say this with all of the authority and the standing God has given me through what Jesus did on the cross that now is all mine. These are not three minor words. These are three major words. So I just want to encourage you as you pray this week and as you pray moving forward and you get to the end of the prayer or someone else is getting to the end of the prayer and you're like, oh my gosh, thank you, Jesus. They're almost done. Don't gloss over those three words because what Jesus is saying is when you pray your prayers, you're praying it with all the authority and standing I have. Because everything that is Jesus is, is now ours. And most of us have never prayed with that kind of awareness. We've never prayed with that kind of boldness. We've never prayed with that kind of faith. The word amen means let it be so or I agree. That's why sometimes people will say when I'm really getting into it, amen. Not stop, Scott. Maybe they are saying that, but, but typically in the moment... They're saying, I agree, let it be so, attaboy. I love what Larry Hurtado says. He says, to pray in Jesus' name means that we enter into Jesus' status in God's favor and we invoke Jesus' standing with God. You're not saying that you're Jesus, but you are claiming all that you have because of Jesus when you pray in Jesus' name. And so it changes the way we pray when we invoke the authority and the standing we have with God. But number two, the other thing it does is that that kind of intercession, it emerges from a heart that's been broken. 
Prayer begins to change us when it emerges from a heart that has been broken and is grieving over the state of something. Now, the classic example of this in Scripture is in the book of Nehemiah. Before he was someone whose, whose name is on a book of the Bible, memorialized for all of history, Nehemiah had a basic, menial, everyday job. He worked in a restaurant. He worked in retail. He dealt with people like you and me, you know, who were coming to eat. His job was he was the cupbearer of the king, which was a job that you had to be 100% perfect at. Because if the king ever got poisoned, you knew your job was done and probably your life was done. And so in the midst of his everyday job, taking care of the king's food, making sure he wasn't poisoned, Nehemiah became aware of something that broke his heart. In Nehemiah 1, 3, and 4, we hear this. They, some people who brought a report to Nehemiah, said the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. And when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heavens. When Nehemiah prays, he's not praying from a very cold, unmoved position. His heart has been broken because of the plight of his people and his intercession for them, his fasting and his prayer for a number of days puts my little two-hour unexpected prayer session to shame. It emerges because his heart has been broken because of the situation, and he is changed, and therefore his prayers are changed. When I was uh, first getting into working in a church and teaching like this, there was a song that became popular that we would sing in our gatherings, and it was called Hosanna, and it was, had this lyric, God, show me how to love like you've loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom's cause. And that language, break my heart for what breaks yours, is, is what happened for Nehemiah. God was broken over the state of Jerusalem, and as Nehemiah becomes aware of it, he becomes broken over that, and his prayer then emerges from it. And that's the big idea, that, that intercession is the overflow of our love for people, but it's also the overflow of our limits as people. Nehemiah knew that he couldn't rebuild that wall himself, but he deeply loved these people, and out of the overflow of those feelings— he interceded for them with fasting and prayer, not just for an hour or a day, but for days. And that, that's a different kind of prayer than I think a lot of us are used to or have experienced. This is what Richard Foster, one of the you know, great teachers on spiritual practices, said. He said, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more that is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. So, so for some of you today, because this is like a new topic for you, the idea of interceding, I just want to challenge you. Is it possible that you've lacked intercession for someone because you really lack love for them? That the solution isn't, okay, I need to just pray more. Is maybe the solution that you need to love more? And if you loved differently, then maybe you'd pray differently.
See, sometimes we try to change the wrong thing. If you just will yourself to pray more, that won't actually shift your heart. And if intercession is the overflow of our love for people, then maybe the solution isn't, God, help me to pray more. Maybe the solution is, God, help me to see those people the way you see them and to love them more. Because our intercession grows as a direct result of us loving people more and asserting control less. When I am in my most control freak mode, and maybe some of you have that mode too that you go into sometimes, that is the time in which I am the least prayerful. Because I am trying to put a situation under my control and I'm trying to get my hands back around it. And if intercession is the overflow of my limits as a person, I'm coming to the end of my ability to control something and I'm recognizing that God is in control and he is the one that I need to be seeking that he would control and be sovereign and be at work in a situation. And I wonder if we looked at our our love for people and our limits as people as those are the things that need adjustment and if those things began to adjust, maybe that would change how we pray. The third piece of what challenges and changes in us as we pray is this, that this kind of prayer, it forces us to wrestle with God's sovereignty and God's goodness. If you're going to intercede for someone, then eventually you're going to come to a point where you have to wrestle with God's sovereignty. Is he really sovereign? Is he really powerful? Is he really in control? And then his goodness, is he really good? Because I know when some of you heard that we were going to start a series on prayer, you're like, oh, crud. Maybe you said a different word than crud, but I'm just going to say crud today. Because you have a story, or maybe many stories, of when you prayed for something and it didn't work out the way that you were praying for. Maybe you asked God for something and you said, Scott, I said in Jesus' name at the end. I said it in Jesus' name. But I prayed... And then it didn't go that way. And that's why I don't pray anymore. That's why I don't pray as much. That's why I pray differently. Because if God was really good, why would he allow that to happen? If God was really sovereign, then, then what happens with that? If God really cared, how could it go down like that? See, that's the part we have to get to when we talk about prayer eventually. And I know that our friend Garth has a song that everybody loves to sing. And he's entertainer of the year. I mean, so it, you get 60,000 people in a stadium singing thank God for unanswered prayers, you know, and it's a great experience. And maybe on the backside of it, when you see the full story, you go, oh, okay, I can thank God for that. But when you're in the middle of it, when you're in the thick of it, You're not singing Garth. See, David wasn't singing Garth either. In Psalm 22, his song went like this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? 
Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and they were set free. They trusted in you and they were not disgraced. But I, I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by my people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let God rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. Psalm 22. Different kind of prayer. Different kind of psalm. And what's what's mind-blowing to me is if I turn my Bible one page... David is praying, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. (laughs) Only goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. Like literally, one page, the next page. How? Because David is wrestling with the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God in the midst of real life. And when you pray honestly, that's what your prayers sound like some days. That, the, the, I've prayed the Psalm 23 prayer. That was the prayer I prayed in that, in that chapel and afterwards. God, thank you so much. You're good. You're faithful. I felt you. You're real. But three years before that, I was praying Psalm 22. Because the phone rang at my house at five o'clock in the morning. And I heard my dad answer it. And I never heard that tone of voice from him before. And I heard the garage door open and his Buick drive way faster than I've ever heard a Buick drive before. And I went into my parents' room and my mom was sitting on the side of the bed and I could see that she'd been crying. She said, son, sit down. And I knew that something had happened. And what she told me is that at 17 years old, my best friend had died in his sleep because of a seizure. Face down, he'd had a seizure and he literally suffocated in his own pillow. I wasn't praying Psalm 23 that day. I was praying Psalm 22. God, he had two brothers who I love, but he was the one that had the most potential. He was the one that had scholarship offers. He was the one that was going to make the family proud. He was the one that was the life of the party. He was the one who brought joy. 17 years old, his whole life was ahead of him. God, you're good? God, you're sovereign? How? And that's why I just want to tell you that if we're praying to the God who created everything and everyone, then we're going to need to embrace mystery. Because it's been 20 years and I still don't understand that. It's been 20 years and I've got two more degrees in the Bible and almost two decades of experience standing in places like this and preaching like this, and I still haven't figured that out. That's a question I'm going to take with me to heaven. Maybe Jamin there has a better answer for me than I do here. And so I just want to encourage you that ultimately intercession is going to lead you to a moment like that. And I refuse to disrespect you with a nice, trite answer. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not God. 
And when I pray, I am reminded of that every single time. Prayer reminds me of how small I am and how big he is. And Psalm 22 tells me there's a place to pray a prayer like that. And Psalm 23 tells me I won't always pray a prayer like that. And I love people. And I have limits as a person. And intercession is what happens when those two things overflow. You say, Scott, that doesn't resolve very well. I know. It's life. And people who make it resolve very well are Hollywood screenwriters who have 22 minutes to cram a story in. But what God does is he meets us in the midst of that. And when you're interceding, you have to decide, am I going to trust God to be enough? Am I going to trust that I'm interceding and Jesus is interceding? And when I don't have any more words, the Spirit is going to groan those things out. And in that place, that kind of prayer, it will challenge you and it will change you. It's changed me. So this morning, I want to offer you some next steps. And the first one is this. You were given two index cards when you walked in this morning. And these are going to function as prayer cards today. I want you to think about a prayer, an intercessory prayer you're praying today. That's a prayer for someone else. And what I want you to do is I want to take take these two cards out. I want you to write the same intercessory prayer on both cards. So write the same prayer on both of these cards. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't need to be a novella. and Use both sides. Just, just write the prayer on both cards. One of these cards you're going to keep. This is for you to remind you to pray. Maybe a different attitude or mindset based upon what we studied today from God's word. The other one, I'm going to talk to you in a few minutes about what to do. Okay? So write it down on both these cards. Secondly, second next step while you're writing on that is I want to invite you to join the prayer team at Cornerstone. We have a team that gathers every week to intercede for you. They intercede for me. They pray for for Prescott projects and they pray for people who are in the hospital and they pray for our missionaries and they pray for the requests you give us. And they gather every Tuesday at 10 a.m. at our roster campus. And so if you're like, Scott, I, I... I need to be more intentional with prayer. Maybe you need to come join them for a week or more than a week. There's no RSVP. There's no signups. There's no background checks. It's the easiest next step in the world. Just show up at this location at this time. And then number three, maybe this is the hardest one of all. I want you to share your biggest roadblock to prayer with a trusted friend this week. Maybe your roadblock is what just happened a few minutes ago as I was talking about mystery and prayer. Maybe there's something that is happening or not happening or something that didn't happen in the past, and it's the roadblock to why you don't pray as much. And here's my my sense. If that roadblock has been there for any period of time, you've probably tried a few ways to get it out of the way. And in love, I want to say this to you. 
isn't it time that you tried something new? And maybe just telling somebody about it is enough for somebody else to know. Maybe they could begin to pray for you. Maybe they've had a roadblock of their own and maybe they know how to get that roadblock out of the way. But the thing that our enemy, the devil, loves the most is someone who is suffering and stuck alone and in a way that nobody else knows. It's part of that confession practice we did last week. So I'd encourage you, if you're stuck with prayer, you can't control staying stuck, but you can control who knows. So I'd encourage you, tell somebody this week and invite them into that place with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you so much that right now you are praying for us. We see what you prayed for us in John 17 when you prayed that we would be one, that we would grow in unity with you, that we would experience unity with you and unity with each other that equals what you enjoy with the Father and the Spirit. So I just pray, especially in the places where we're stuck and we're struggling with intercession today, that you'd meet us that you'd work in a way that only you can. We invite you in. And as much as we're burdened for other people, Jesus, I know that there are things in us that you want to work on too. This morning, wherever you are, if you're watching online or you're in the room, your eyes are closed, I just want to encourage you to take your hands and open them. Maybe you hold them in front of you. Maybe you put them on your thighs. Just open your hands. Open hands is a posture of surrender. I wonder who or what do you need to surrender to Jesus today? What have you been carrying a burden or a concern or a love for that you need to surrender them and that to Jesus? If something has come to mind for you, then I'd encourage you just to pray these words with me. Jesus, I give them to you. You love them more than me. You're more committed to their good than I am. And so I entrust them to you. May your will be done in their life. And then with your hands still open, I wonder if there's a situation that you're praying for for God to intervene in. Something that is beyond your control, it's beyond your strength, it's a, a thing where you're recognizing your limits. If you have that in mind this morning, I just encourage you to pray this simple prayer. God, your kingdom come your will be done here. God, your kingdom come, your will be done here. In this situation, in this place, in this moment, in this struggle.
Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to come to you with all of the authority and standing we have with you. And so for all the things that have been prayed in this place, we pray them in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.